0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clear Note Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Now, let's read our scripture because it's fascinating. It really is. I Trust me, all right? So let's read the word of God. It's... Our text this morning is Genesis 18, 1-15. And because it's the word of God, it's eternally true. Now the Lord appeared to him, this is uh, Abram, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I'll bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes." Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant. And he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also?' And the Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh, saying, "'Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? "'Is anything too difficult for the Lord?' At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Now, this is, this is a very interesting story, right? It's very interesting. And I had the privilege of looking at what I preached back in 1984. So I preached this text in 84, same verses. Then I preached it in 93 at ECC. And now I'm preaching it the third time, okay? So reading what I said in 84 and 93 is fascinating because what do you think I said in 84 and 93? Well, of course, what I said was, is anything too difficult? For the Lord, nothing is too difficult for God. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is too difficult. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? All things are possible. And of course, that's the perfect evangelical sermon, isn't it? I mean, upbeat, helpful, at the beginning of a new year, you know? Well, good. That means that we can sell our house. Well, good. That means I'll get a job. Well, good. That means I'll get tenure. Nothing is impossible. Well, good. My wife will start to like me. (laughs) Nice upbeat message, right? But this time, I actually read what my fathers before me have said about this text. Now, it's not that I didn't read it before, but I always read modern fathers in the old days, you know, men that sell commentaries and teach at seminaries. But this time, I read my spiritual fathers, men that I have now nursed from. And that means this particular week, Calvin and Luther. And I ask you, what do you think Calvin and Luther say about this account? What do you think Calvin and Luther say about this account? Yeah, they do talk about nothing being impossible for God. They do, of course, make the point that God delights in doing things past the time when it's humanly possible. They do make the point that God wants to receive the glory. And so he specializes in impossibilities. They do make the point that nothing is impossible for God because he's the creator of the universe. Would you believe me if I told you that those points are actually secondary to what they teach from this passage. They're not quite a footnote, you know. They're more prominent than... Down, down, down. They're more prominent than that. But they are almost an afterthought. Nah, they'd, they'd object to that. Now, so, now I've piqued your interest. So what do you think they talk about on this passage? Passage. Now, in the first service, I I asked everybody to respond, but I'll put you, I I won't make you to do that. Okay? So, I'll have a dialogue with you, but I'm the only one talking. Which is the best kind of dialogue, right? (laughs) It's just a joke, Benjamin. Just a joke. All right. Two things they talk about. OK, One of them is hospitality, and the other is The other is Sarah being in the tent. Both Calvin and Luther. Sarah being in the tent. Now, come on, that's weird. You've got to admit it. I can promise you, I never made that point in Wisconsin, or at ECC. Okay? But that's what Calvin and Luther talk about. Now you may say, well, hospitality is a no-brainer. So let's look at hospitality. Verse 1, now the Lord appeared to him. Now we know because the word Lord is in upper caps, or large caps, we know that means Yahweh, that's the way in the Old Testament, every time that the particular tetragrammaton, which is a complicated word for Yahweh, which is this word, this is the the personal name for God that the Jews knew. Okay, so Moses is writing this history, and at the very beginning it says now the Lord appeared to him. So this is Yahweh. What you need to understand is that it's Moses, who's telling you this. It's the narrator. It's the writer. It's the author who's telling you this. He says, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Abraham did not know it was the Lord. Until something happened in the middle of this encounter. But, The author, which is Moses, wants you, the Holy Spirit wants you to know it was the Lord. It was three men. It was the Lord and two companions. We assume those two companions were angels. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. So this is hot. It's the Mideast. It's hot. The heat of the day, the middle of the day. And this is the time when you find shade and sit down. You don't keep working, you take a siesta, you're resting. So he's at rest in the heat of the day when, verse 2, he, he lifted up his eyes and what Behold, three men were standing opposite him. We don't know whether they were walking towards him and, and he just didn't notice it or whether plump, there they were. But behold, in other words, shocking, three men standing in front of him. And when he saw them, and right here we could, we could stop this and we could say, what would you do if you were having a nice peaceful rest on your property and all of a sudden three strangers showed up? What would you do? Well, I, I, it, I can't guarantee you, but I have a sneaking suspicion that very few of us, and certainly I would not have done what Abraham did. All right? Look look at what Abraham did. Behold, three men were standing. And when he, Abraham, saw them, he sauntered. He sashayed. He walked. He approached. No, he ran. How does, he, how does he come up with enthusiasm to run in the heat of the day when he had been sitting down? He ran from the tent door to meet them. He took the initiative. And then he did what? He bowed himself to the ground. Now listen, guys. Abraham is a titan of industry. He's a master of the universe. In other words, he's extremely wealthy. And he's surrounded by all of the families, all of the servants, all of the cattle. This is the palace. In a Bedouin lifestyle, this is the palace. This is the master of the whole clan. And that man gets up, runs to meet them, and then bows before them. In other words, he pulls out all the stops to be hospitable. Verse 3, and he said, my Lord. Why would he address them as my Lord? When have you ever addressed a Hispanic and called them my Lord? When have you ever addressed somebody from Asia? When have you ever addressed a Filipino, when have you ever addressed an African? When have you ever addressed anybody? When have you ever addressed those people that are buying lottery cards like crazy right now? And called them my Lord. Why did Abraham call them my Lord? And you say, well, because uh, it was Jesus and two angels. And I say, So you're sure Abraham knew that. Why then does it say in Hebrews, by this some have entertained angels unawares? Clear reference to this account. My Lord. And then this, if now I have found favor in your sight. What is is going on here? Who cares about whether you find the favor of Hispanics? What they should be worried about is whether we find favor in them. And are they here illegally? I'm not going to stop, people. I ain't going to stop. These are strangers. These are sojourners in their midst. These are people who cannot possibly repay Abraham. They have nothing that Abraham wants, nothing he needs, and likely by the end of the day they'll be gone and he'll never see them again. And this is how Abraham treats them. He gets up, he runs, he bows, and then he pleads with them to give him the privilege of serving them. You want to know what this is like? The next time you're at one of these Hispanic restaurants you like to eat at, You say to your waiter, no, 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 you sit down and I'll get you water. Please let me have the honor. And then try bowing on the restaurant floor. Honestly, honestly, it just begins to communicate what's going on here. This man is a titan. This man is a master. This man is filthy rich. This man is surrounded by hordes of animals and people that belong to him. And he gets up, he runs, he calls him my lord, he bows, and then he asks him if he can have the privilege. If I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And this is Abraham, the friend of God. Why do you think he's a friend of God? Does it look like Abraham is stingy? Does it look like Abraham is is trying to figure out whether they have their green card and are serving him lawfully? And you say, oh, come on, Tim. And I say, ain't going to stop. I ain't going to stop. You know, as Christians, we never stop coming up with full justifications as to why we don't have to obey God. And so, you know, if people don't have their green card, I have no obligation to do illegally. You go, Trump, you go, you know. And it's utterly repulsive. You say, well, you're a scoundrel to be fomenting rebellion against the law. And I say, No, 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 no. I didn't didn't tell anybody from Guatemala to show up here. I just am saying that when they're here, we as Christians have an obligation to them. As a matter of fact, no. Does Abraham look like he's fulfilling an obligation? No. Abraham looks like he just got dessert. Abraham looks like a man that just got a source of joy that he didn't know he had coming that day. Abraham got a privilege. Abraham got more people he can love. (laughs) That's a new way of looking at it, isn't it? And so, have you noticed, like I have, how many more Hispanics we have in our community than we did 20 years ago? How many more restaurants? And so we have many, many more people to have in our homes who are sojourners. There are houses of them. They're afraid to even admit they're living in the houses because there are too many of them. They're not documented. And I know this because I had them tell me. And so, what evidence is there to the Hispanics who are undocumented? They haven't come here with lots of money from their parents. What evidence is there to them of the love of Jesus Christ for them in this community? I have a dream. I have a dream that one day. My dream is that one day this will be a Hispanic church. I've had that dream for many, many years. I haven't a clue how to fulfill that dream. But I'm absolutely confident there are people here who know how to do it. What good are you if you don't force this church to live like Abraham? Okay, maybe my job is just to be the one that says the obvious. That's fine. I'm willing to do it. I specialize in that. But what about you? Don't you know how to make this place a home for Hispanics who are undocumented? And could there be anything that is more pleasing to God? than for us to have people in this church who can never contribute to the budget because they send all their money back to their family. I have been asking for years that we would do the one thing that would make absolutely certain that the Hispanics would love us. You know what it is? A soccer field. You know, shouldn't there be one soccer field in Bloomington that the Hispanics can play on day and night, whenever they want to, (laughs) without paying money? That place over there is a scandal. 17 soccer fields, you can't play on one of them. And we own them. And all the rich people from the east side Rent them, and don't you dare set foot on them if you're not a rich person from the east side. And we have all this land, so for years I've been saying, can we please have a soccer field that the Hispanics can play on? Right? Haven't I, Mike? Tell them. Yep, I've been asking for it. We look at Abraham responding to these sojourners in his midst. He didn't know who they were. They could not give anything to him. He could only give to them. He ran to them. He called them, my Lord. He bowed before them. And then he asked them, please give me the privilege of serving you. And in his case, it wasn't a soccer field. It wasn't, you know, telling them to sit down while you go bust their plates and pick up their their food and pay for it, which wouldn't that be a great thing? You know, are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. You sit down, let me serve you. Do you think they'd mind, you know? If any of you do, it, tell the story or wear a GoPro while you do it, okay? And if you don't like my illustrations, you come up with ones on your own. You're creative, you know? Have a free day at the optometry clinic just for undocumented Hispanics. You know? Adam, tell them that you know you know, you could you could tell them that you'll give them free investment advice. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> right now, get in the stock market. It's low. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you could say that you're gonna write a special piece of music that will be played at the symphony in dedication to their mother. It's brilliant. Okay, and so Abraham says what? He says, my Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. Do you notice the diminutive term there? A little, a little water. Why does Abraham say a little, a little water? Well, keep reading, and then he says this, and I will bring, what, another diminutive, a piece of bread. Why does Abraham say a little water and a piece of bread? Now we've read it, and so you know that Abraham is lying. He has no intention of bringing a little water, he has no intention of being a piece of bread, right? You know that. You know why? Because Abraham is not just a good host in that he's solicitous, he's, he's, he's exuberant, he's, he's fast, he's humble, he pleads. But also, he what? He under-promises and he over-delivers. This is something that's foreign to me. I like to over-promise and under-deliver. You know, make it sound like if you come to our house for dinner, you're going to get a lot, and then I count the lima beans. Yeah, you know? This man is sweet. This is the kind of man that if you go into his house, you're not putting your hand over your mouth because you're afraid he's going to demand everything you ate from you later. This is a man that says, A little water and a piece of bread, and then what? Then what? Well, look at what happens. Now, bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourself. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. Again, everything is about do me the privilege, honor me, please, okay? And they said, So do as you have said. So what? Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah. Isn't that interesting? He ran and then he hurried. <laughs> this is a titan of industry. This is a filthy. Ri- this is like King Leopold II in, in the Congo. And he's running and he's hurrying. And he goes into the tent. So Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah and said quickly. <laughs> he ran, he hurried. Quickly, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour and knead it and make bread cakes. Abraham also what? Ran to the herd and took a half dead cow with a gammy leg. He took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant. He didn't say to the servant, you know, go, go select. He personally selected and he hurried to prepare it, the servant. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them. And then the coup de gras or the the creme de la creme, all right? Look at that last phrase. And he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Ah, uh, If I might... In, in my wildest dreams, have done everything else that's being talked about in this passage, which you know I would never do. I would, n- I would never, <laughs> absolutely never on the principle of it, stand and watch people eat at my table. Do I look like a man that would stand and... You know, I noticed reading the Bible the other day that God says to Eli that he is going to judge his sons because, why? Because he says, Eli, you, so he includes Eli in this, you have made yourself fat off the offerings of God's people. I never noticed that before. And then Eli died, and you remember what it says when he died. He fell off the stone because why? Trust me, I know what it says. <laughs> because why? Huh? 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 Anybody know? You skinny ones. <laughs> Come on. It, heavy? Yeah, I would think it was, I, I don't remember for sure, but I think it says very fat. And here Abraham is. And Abraham stands as they eat. Unbelievable people. It's unbelievable. He was waiting. Oh, you want salt and pepper? Oh, you need more butter? Let me warm up the gravy for you. He was standing to wait on them. He waited on them. It really is unbelievable. And so if I tell you that that both Luther and Calvin go on and on and on about hospitality here, I mean on and on. And now we've looked at it. It kind of does make sense, doesn't it? And really, it's not moralism to preach this. Lutheran Calvin are not moralists when they command us in the name of God to emulate, to follow Abraham and Sarah. Right? How have we gotten to the point that in the Protestant church today, We have produced seminaries that actually train young men preparing for the ministry to never do what Calvin and Luther both do, which is to say, be hospitable from this text. But not just hospitable. Remember I told you the second one? (laughs) And this one's the real howler. I mean, if Tim Bailey were to turn this account into an opportunity to call women to be keepers at home, Everybody would yawn. Say, there he goes again. (laughs) You know, he's always talking about families and husbandry and motherhood and wifehood and, and the house and submission and love and all that kind of crud. And so if I were to preach on this and say, this has application to marriage and specifically to what it means to be a godly woman, you'd all go, oh, please. I mean... Really? Does this guy have any? I mean, has he ever, I mean. Guess what? Both Calvin and Luther go on and on and on about Sarah's submission. (laughs) And so does the Apostle Peter. You know what the Apostle Peter says about this? The Apostle Peter points out, well, let me read it to you, okay? The Apostle Peter says, For in this way in former times, and boy, if that was true in his day, that's really true today. For in this way in former, 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 former times. I mean, we're talking really former now, right? For in this way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Oh, yeah. We believe in adorning ourselves, don't we? That's what the mirror is for, right? Used to adorn themselves with red lipstick, with hairspray, with jewelry, with rouge. And eyeliner and brow pulling. I don't know what all. Used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Oh, that's funny. I'm going to go and stand in front of the mirror and adorn myself with submission. Now I'm going to take a selfie of submission. being submissive to their own husbands just as, so now this isn't the example of that, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And that's the perfect statement to explain the world today. Which is that every woman today is completely controlled by fear and gives themselves completely to feminism so that they never suffer. Or if they suffer, they're in control of their sufferings. You cannot be afraid and give yourself to submission. Start with God. You love God and you submit to him. You love your husband and you submit to him. You trust God and you submit to your husband. This is the reality of femininity. You don't submit to your husband because he's a good guy. There is no such man. Every man will certainly meet with your disapproval. I love the New Yorker cartoon where a woman says to her husband, Honey, you're a man, and therefore I will never fully approve of you. It's God speaking to women here. And he lifts up Sarah as an example. He says, you want to be a daughter of Sarah? He says, then you adorn yourself being submissive to your own husband, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you become her children. And I wonder, is there any woman here who wants to be a child of Sarah? I mean, honestly. You know, do you know the feminists? They actually stole that phrase for one of their publications in the evangelical world. Daughters of Sarah. It's like, you know, Stalin's the big lie. You know, it's, well, anyhow. You have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And so here we see both Calvin and Luther going on and on and on about the fact that Sarah is in her tent. (laughs) Listen, it was so bad that I just cringed reading page after page. I, I just thought, this is insane. This is true. I thought it was absolutely insane what they were writing. Luther, it was like, oh no. And then I reminded myself that Luther absolutely adored his wife, Katie. He adored her. He would write other leaders and he would say, my master, Katie. Does that sound like a man with a bad marriage? And you know, one of the stories about Luther is he comes down one morning, Katie's in black. He says, sweetheart, did somebody die? She said, yeah, God. And he'd say, "God, you're a blaspheming woman." And she said, "Well, the way you've been moping around, I figured he must have died, so I put on black." So that sound like a guy with a bad marriage. And he goes on and on and on and on, talking about the fact that Sarah was in her tent. And so does Calvin. <laughs> now let me ask you the question. Are they crazy or are we crazy? Which is it? And I'll tell you, every single time my money is on dead men and their wives. Every single time my money is on my fathers and mothers. It's never on me. If I ever write a book about sexuality, it's going to be titled something like, I invented it. But I look at those men, and then I look at Scripture through their eyes, out of my culture, out of my snobbery and conceit, and all of a sudden, my heart is quickened. And I go, "Yeah." Have you ever noticed that as you walk with the Lord, as you get older, what happens is you begin to be sensitized to things that the world had desensitized you to? If you notice, this this is part of sanctification. You you regain touch and smell and, and hearing, and all of a sudden you're more sensitive. And that's what's happened in my life when it comes to sexuality. I haven't become more jaded as I've gotten older. I have become more sensitive, and so has my wife. So years ago, when we would be down in Mexico and go to church, it didn't bother us at all that a woman was leading and a bunch of cowed men were behind her. Especially she was good looking. But now we go down, and, and, and you just cringe why? Because women should never be in front of a congregation leading music? No, I didn't say that. What I said was a woman up front and a bunch of cowed men behind her. You know what the word cowed means? Women, men who know their place is under women, men who live to please their wives, to please. I was, Mary Lee and I were down there recently. And at the beginning of the service, they had actual man leading this time. It was wonderful. Baptist, or no, it was Presbyterian church. And and so I went to one of the elders at, at a break in the service, and I said, I want to tell you, I'm so grateful to be led by men in the worship this morning. It's such an encouragement to me. And immediately, he started browbeating me about how they have a woman who's the pastor of worship, and she's such an excellent woman, and she could be a pastor, and on and on and on. And I'm thinking, I'm not looking to pick a fight. I was trying to thank you. Do you really have to? And so I looked at him, and I said, why do you always do this? He says, why do we always do what? He spoke very good English. I said, why do you always mimic the United States? Why do you want to be American, North American? Why, why do you want to be like us, like me? Why don't you be yourselves? Oh, this has nothing to do with the United States. I said, oh yeah, it does. This is our main export is feminism. This is what we export. This is what our missionaries preach. <laughs> and so... Mary Lee and I have gotten to the point in our life where we have regained sensitivity that we were damned determined to kill when we were young people. Mary Lee started the Women's Center at Westmont College. Did you know that? (laughs) She had a pierced nose at the time, you know, and I had long hair, you know. It was like really cool. It's just so disgusting. And so we read this and then we read Calvin and Luther and we know we have to make a choice. Either the Holy Spirit meant to say something about Sarah here, here, when he said she was in the tent, she was waiting for her husband's, and when I wrote my manuscript, all this stuff is in here, I just don't use it. When I wrote my manuscript, every time I talked about what he said to his wife, I cringed because I didn't want to write what I knew I had to write. What I wanted to write was when Abraham went in and requested. (laughs) I didn't want to write instructed and I certainly didn't want to write commanded. And then you read Calvin and Calvin goes on and on about how you see here, Abraham has a well-ordered home. That's what he says. And then he says, which was the fruit of much, are you ready for this, discipline. Discipline, that's the word he uses. (laughs) And you go, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that Abraham disciplined his wife? And I say, well, he doesn't actually say Abraham disciplined his wife. What he talks about is that the home and the household are well-ordered, and it's the fruit of discipline. And you go, well... (laughs) I don't believe in disciplined servants, and I don't believe in disciplining wives, so who on earth was being disciplined? must have been that Sarah was disciplining Abraham. Calvin was such, a, such an idiot. He was so godless. He was so insensitive to women. Calvin was... Calvin had a one-track mind. Calvin was... Calvin is so much inferior to me and you. You. mm hmm You. Now, am I flattering you? You're a sensitive man. Your wife knows what a servant leader you are. And she tells every other homeschooling mom. You know what else Calvin says here? This is true. Calvin actually says, that there are women who cop a posture as being submissive to their husbands and then parade their pride reducing him to their subordinate. And in the first service, with Ann Wagner sitting right under my nose, the best homeschooler I've ever known, I said, that is the definition of homeschooling. Where we, we just talk on and on about what a glorious husband we have. What a great leader. How godly he is. That he's my patriarch. Patriarch. We tell our children, what a privilege they have to be under that man. And then we rule him with an iron fist. He doesn't open his mouth at church. He just sits there and smiles while his wife brags about him. You know, we've had women like this in this church. It's exactly the way Calvin describes it. And guess what? They're not here any longer. You understand this. You understand it. They are liars. They are liars. And it is not in their interest, the interest of their husband, the interest of their children, the interest of the glory of God, the interest of the witness of the gospel, the interest of the health of this church, to go along with the lies of women who rule their husbands through their pride while they claim they're submissive. Do you understand this? When Abraham went to the tent, he found his wife at home. Titus says older women teach younger women to be submissive, a number of things, and then to be keepers at home to be domestic. And so that's what they comment on. They say, hey, guess what? Sarah was at home. And you say, well, where else was she to be? And I say, do you remember the fact that he's a titan of industry? You remember the fact that he has tons of slaves, tons of families? She could have been anywhere other than there waiting. And if she was in the tent when he went and asked her to make bread, all right, when they were eating, did you notice where she is? She's not out there controlling the conversation. She's not out there parading her, you know, like Uriah Heep. <laughs> parading her meek servanthood. She's still in the tent because look at what it says. What it says about the end of the meal is that the Lord and these two men with him, in verse 9, it says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? Where is Sarah your wife? Now remember I said that at some point, they learned that they were not simply dealing with normal men. They used her name. They said, where is Sarah, your wife? And all of a sudden, Abraham feels like he got yanked back a little bit, that something above what he thinks is going on here is going on, right? And he said, Abraham, there in the tent. So she's not out controlling the conversation. She's not out making a big show of herself, is she? She's content... How many of you would be willing for your husband to stand while guests ate? If your husband was willing to stand, you know. She's still in the tent. And he said, so this is one of the three men. I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, (laughs) we really are dealing with something that's uncharted territory. It's been 25 years since Abraham was first promised that he would be a father of many nations. He was given that promise when he was 75. He's now 99, and he'll have the child when he's 100. Okay? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, comes this promise... I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, and you say, oh, she's eavesdropping. She's not as good as you say, right? No, 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 no. They'd said, where is Sarah, your wife, and the tent's right there. Of course she's listening now. Where's Sarah? Uh Uh-oh! Why do they want to know about me? I'm behind the tent! So of course Sarah is there at the door of the tent listening. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing, menopause. She was long past the ability to conceive. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, being old also, you go, pleasure? What? What's that about? Well, the Hebrews weren't so stupidly delicate as we are. It actually almost certainly refers to the enjoyment of sexual intimacy. And so he's 99, right? So it's likely that they weren't intimate anymore, right? And she's like, dude, are you serious? You know, like me and Abraham are going to get it on? Yeah, right. I'm old, he's old. <laughs> Shall I have pleasure? What does she call her husband? Huh? Huh? Come on, say it. Okay, now i got to tell you a story. And most of you know the story, but, it, you know, Pat the Bunny gets read 100,000 times, so we can tell the story of Annie Correll twice. So David and Annie are going to a family reunion, right? And on the way there, David says, Hey, Annie. This is one of our pastors. And you have to know him. You have to know Annie. He says, Hey, Annie. I'm happy this morning that David is sick. So I can tell this story without him or Annie getting, Is Annie here? (laughs) I didn't know you were here. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> it's a funny story though so they're in the car and David says to Annie hey Annie when we get there it's a family reunion I, I'm going to ask you for something and when you respond say my lord right so they get to the and of course everybody's a Christian you know third, fourth, tenth generation Christians you know, they all know their Bibles and, and so at some point David says something to Annie like hey Annie could I have a cup of water Annie says yes my lord and it was like somebody had taken the pin out of a grenade and thrown it in the middle of the living room. It was like everybody's saying, like, What did you say? <laughs> what? And very nonchalantly, Annie says, My Lord. And David says, Well, don't you know why she's saying that? You know, straight face. No, why? Well, it's from the Bible. Where does it say that in the Bible? And if I remember correctly, it was a pastor's wife that said that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where does it say that in the Bible? (laughs) It says it here, and then it says it again in 1 Peter. And it holds it as commendable, and it's one of the few places in Scripture that give direct commands to women. Let alone pastors-wise. And somehow, I can't quite figure it out. We've all given our way to fear. And none of us know that Scripture passage. And none of us would ever think to preach on being committed to the home from serving in our tent. And we think we're so rich. And we're so, so poor. This last week, Mary Lee's mother thought she was dying. She thought she would die that night. The next day, we got an email saying that she hadn't died. But it was very clear that time is short for her. And so a number of emails went back and forth between the different people in the, home, in the family. And we all faced the thought of losing mom. She's 98, about to have her 99th birthday. She has 28 grandchildren and 70-something great-grandchildren now. And I don't like goodbyes. I've had too many. Mary Lee went over and spent a day with her mom. They did jigsaw puzzles. And Mary Lee brought her precious, cheerful, sweet disposition as a blessing to her mother and to her oldest sister who cares for her mother, Becky. I didn't go with her for a number of reasons, but as I got ready to come home this week, I thought to myself, I don't want mom going without saying goodbye. And so I drove over, called them up, asked if I could have dinner with them, got over there, and we had dinner together. And then after dinner, we went back to their apartment. She lives in a, in a place where they get, go to a dining hall every day. And we got back to the apartment. And who knows? She might live another 10 years. Her mother-in-law, her stepmother, I should say, lived until she was like 103. But not the same genetics. But mom seems to be doing very well physically and sharp as a tack mentally. She'll whoop you at Scrabble, any of you. But but knowing I might not see her again, I wanted to say some things to her, and I want you to know what I said to her, because it just fits perfectly into the issue of hospitality and the issue of Sarah and Abram. I said to her, Mom, you remember back when I was a young man and some of of my sins? And so we told the story of some of my sins and some of her daughter's sins. And they're real sins. Kind of sins you've committed. And then I transitioned into what I wanted to say to Mom by talking about her daughter, Mary Lee. And I said to her, I said, I can't conceive of what my life would have been like without Mary Lee. And I began to talk about her good traits. I talked about how uncomplicated she is. That she just hits the ground running. And she's cheerful. And man, is that yin to my... I I don't want to dignify it with yang. I mean, I needed a cheerful woman because I'm not cheerful. I mean, sometimes I am, if you feed me. (laughs) And then I talked about how Mary Lee just serves and serves and serves and serves and serves and just constantly works. And she's always been this way. I had a boss tell me once that that the church was upset with me and I could not continue to work as a custodian of this large church unless my wife no longer cut the grass of the church. And I said, why? What's the issue? And he said, well, when she cuts the grass, she has Heather on her back in a backpack and they're worried that a stone will ricochet off the building and hit Heather. And that was my wife out there with a baby on her back cutting the grass the day she gave birth to Heather, you know, we were cleaning a house. And while she's in labor, she sends me to Kmart to get some diapers. And I got back and, oh, 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 oh. and it was her first baby. How many of you women have had her at your births? This is precious. She goes to bed at night, leaves the phone on. You know, and we've gotten to the point where when it buzzes, we get facial tics, you know. We hope it's a quick one. I could keep going, talking about my wife. I find her endlessly delightful, and now it is true, I get mad at her, and I am a jerk to my wife, and she would have every reason for giving way to fear, okay? But you all know that about me, I don't make that a secret. But I'm telling you, I've told her, if I had a hundred lives to live, I would marry you every single one of those hundred lives, right? 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 Come on, tell me you know that's true. Now, what's my point? I said to mom, mom, you realize that everything that Mary Lee is, is because you have shown her how to be a woman and you've refused to let this world press you into its mold. I said, Mom, you were, you're brilliant. I said, you could have gotten any job you wanted. I said, you, when Dad started Tindale House, you were accounts payable during those horrible years when Dad had given away so much money, so much money, that... Ken Hanson from Service Master called Mark up who was working under his dad at that time and said, you better find a bankruptcy attorney. And mom was accounts payable. You know what that means? That means she had no money to pay the bills of Tyndale House. She'd come home, I'd listen to her, and she'd say, I didn't know what to do today. I didn't have any money. I had to call the, the people we owe money to. I had to tell them. And I said, mom, even in those dark days, I never heard you criticize dad or be bitter. Never. She ran Tyndale House's accounts payable and at the same time was completely devoted to the home. Proverbs 31, and not a feminist. Her whole focus was on the home. Her entire focus was on helping her husband. She had no life that wasn't helping her husband. She really didn't. I said, I used to watch you. Every single Sunday, he'd bring whatever off-scourings there were at the church home for dinner. And often, she didn't know who'd come home for dinner. Never did I hear the slightest, and I'm telling you, I lived in that. I never heard the slightest complaint. I never heard a sigh from her. She simply served. There was no bitterness. They would have guests on top of guests who'd be there forever. You know, some people would stay and stay and stay and stay. They had people who would be regularly at their dinner table who were not pleasant guests. If the children rolled their eyes at each other while they heard that same story a hundred times from this guest from overseas, who I won't name, the parents disciplined those children. There would not be any rudeness to their guests. And then, two weeks a year, her children and all their children would come and they would all stay at their house. There were people... There were people sticking out of, sticking out of the drains in the bathtubs. <laughs> people would pop out of ice cube trays. It, it was incredible how many people were in that. And that woman got up in the morning, and she worked, and she worked, and she worked, and she worked. And she worked. And she worked, until so she went to bed at night. There was never the slightest complaint. And then when we all left, she did sheets and, and pillowcases and towels, and it went on and on and on and on and on. There was never a day that she was not from morning until night serving us. I said to mom, and of course by now I was crying, <laughs> I said, Mom, you have been one of the greatest joys of my life. Watching you, I said, it's given me strength to fight feminism. I said, I don't fight feminism because I want to protect my perquisites. It's a joke. I'm going to have the perquisites I have because of who I am. I fight it because I said, I will be danged if I'm going to allow people to diss you I won't have it. And I won't have them dissing your daughters. I will not allow men to denigrate women that are godly like you. I will not allow it. I said, Mom, you're the reason I fought feminism for 30 years. Because you're feminine, you're a woman. Of course, by then, my tears were flowing, and her tears were flowing. And she's a completely unemotional, which is to say, Lutheran woman. And I want you to know the tears flowed because I want you to know, this is not an intellectual thing, this is an emotional thing, this is a love thing. I love and adore my mother-in-law. She gave me my wife. She gave you your pastor's wife. God bless her. I will rise and call her blessed until I die. Okay? Then I turn to her daughter who cares for her day in, day out. Becky. And Becky is as unobtrusive as you'll ever find in a woman. And I said, Becky, I know I have not mentioned you here, but I want you to know the whole time I've been talking to mom, I've been thinking about Becky. I said, Becky, you are exactly like your mother. And it's so precious to us. We thank you all the time that now that mom needs somebody, here you are, her daughter, and you're giving your life to her. It's so precious. Mom is a daughter of Sarah. And mom raised up and modeled being a daughter of Sarah without fear to her daughter. And now I look at my daughters and I look at your daughters and I think mom lives on among us. Because mom has given me the strength to preach and to teach and to live. And if I can put it in delicately to discipline Mary Lee so that she would be like her mother. I mean, do you understand that? That's not demeaning Mary Lee. How on earth, I was saying to a young man in our church a, a couple of weeks ago, how on earth do you think you're going to get a wife who is feminine unless you work to make her feminine? You think women are given to us as wives feminine? Not so much. <laughs> That's trains left the station in America. And so we have to work. That's what Calvin says. Calvin says that Abraham ordered his home. Now, if you think that that means that the discipline flows from husband to wife and not from wife to husband, you're crazy. You work with your wife so that she disciplines you. What a pathetic little man is the guy whose wife never disciplines him. He's not a man. You know, Hemingway said that the mark of a man is that he marries the woman he loves instead of the woman that loves him. Part of what godly men do as they order their homes is that they tell their wife to rebuke them when they do a and b they tell their wife that they have a sin and c they confess their sins to their wife they say to their wife i'm afraid i don't have faith and the wife says let's go ahead and tithe okay but help me next month you know let's go ahead and get rid of the the, the cable but I'll ask for it back next week. I mean, I don't know what it is in your life, but don't, please, don't judge me because I talk about a husband ordering his home and use the word discipline like Calvin did. Okay? The discipline in the godly home flows from wives to husbands, and it flows from children to parents. You know this. Dave Carell says that a man who has a submissive wife has such a precious possession because he is completely vulnerable to her when she rebukes him. Right? You guys have heard him say this, right Jody? Right Annie? You've heard him say this. Listen. What does God mean when he says, is anything too hard for me? When he says nothing is too hard for the Lord. He's talking there about the fact that she's going to have a baby in a year and she's in menopause and she and her husband aren't intimate. But is that really the limitation in in this passage of the meaning of all things are possible for God now? I don't think so. I think that today what that means is we can actually have a church where a pastor is not just free but is under the discipline of the congregation to preach a sermon like this. You expect this from me? Do you understand this? If I didn't preach this, I would suffer the discipline of you. Where we have a church that's filled with women like this, I, I in the first service I was talking about being over in Africa, and staying in Terry Wagner's house for I don't know two weeks. And how I told David and Terry what a blessing it was to be in Terry's home in Africa. Because everything Terry did was aimed at blessing the people in her home, including me. And the thing I particularly noted about Terry is that Terry was never willing to simply give you food efficiently. Terry wanted to make a celebration out of it. If Terry... If there is such a thing as a beautification campaign, the name is Terry Wigner. Beauty is critically important to Terry Wigner. And so she not just fed us, but she fed us food that was delightful, and she put a smile on her face, and, and she was happy, and then she made it beautiful. And we could go around, and we could talk about person after person in this congregation who is a woman. And she's drop-dead Gorgeous. To us men, why? It's not her lipstick, it's not a rouge. What is it? She adorns herself with submission. And let me tell you, if you want to turn on a man, adorn yourself with submission. A man has no defenses against a wife who's submissive, none. Okay, have I done well? Huh? Rachel? Okay. Yeah. I love you women. I know that what I've said at the end opens me up to the charge that I'm flattering you. And cynical people can find sin behind every action. But listen, those of you who are permanently a part of this congregation, you know it is true what I've said about the women of this church. You know it's true. They are adorned, and they are drop dead gorgeous. One last thing, at the very end, do you notice what happens? All of a sudden, Sarah realizes that she has embarrassed her husband. Her husband, who wanted to make such a good impression on the guests. I mean, it's like, <laughs> everything was going well until that point, that particular point. And all of a sudden, they say, uh, you laugh. Now, we know they knew they were dealing with something otherworldly, like Star Trek territory at that point, you know, because how did they know she was laughing? She was behind the tent. Flap, right? And so, she says, Oh, no, 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 nope, I, la- I wasn't laughing. I wasn't laughing. I, I, I wasn't laughing at all. I wasn't laughing. Nope, nope. Abraham, I wasn't laughing. Please! And because they were so concerned to be polite, they let it drop. But no. They said, you were too laughing. You know, this is how to ingratiate yourself with your host and hostess, both at the same time, which is to call her out for laughing and then when she denies it, to call her out for lying about her laughing. Right? Do you know what Calvin and Luther say about that? It's quite interesting. Luther says, (laughs) you ready for this? Luther says, Ain't she cute? That's what he says. Little, little, little gray lie. Ain't she cute? Now, he doesn't say cute. All right, that's my way of saying what he says. But what he basically says is, this was a sin. But it was an entirely understandable sin from weakness. She desired to not dishonor her husband. And so the rebuke is Minor. What was the rebuke? It was, you did too lie. There is a rebuke. But then both he and Calvin point out what? Well, come on, think. What do they point out? They point out that when Zacharias was told that his wife, who also was old, is going to have a baby, and he didn't believe it, what happened to him? He wasn't able to talk until the day that the baby was born. Isn't that interesting? So God, please, give us daughters of Sarah. Give Bloomington liberal Christians from Clear Note Church. The most clear application of this actually is not to Hispanics. The most clear application is to international students. There should never be an international student. Especially one who comes to church here. Who every person here knows how to pronounce their real name. And would give anything to have them in their home. And would stand by waiting to serve them. Right? We can set all my stuff about illegal... Just set that over here. I'll bring it up again, but for now. (laughs) Set it over here. But international students? Huh? How could we not give ourselves to them? I lied. I said one last thing, but there's two. I wanted to read to you, um, finally, this from Calvin. Calvin says this. He says, therefore, the great number of inns are evidence of our depravity. And prove it to have arisen from our own fault that the principal duty of humanity has become obsolete among us. You get what he's saying? All those hotels and motels in Bloomington are indication that Christians have no desire to serve. Anymore, and they are our condemnation. They're our shame. Isn't that fascinating. How many more ins are there today that were in Calvin's time? You know. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful account of the hospitality and the sweet spirit in that home of Abraham and Sarah. Father, I thank you for Mom Taylor. For my mom and dad who were the same. For all the women here who devote themselves to their homes. And Father, we pray that you will raise up daughters of Sarah from our mothers. That there will be a sweet, sweet spirit that pervades our homes and that spreads to the guests. And that you will make us creative in being able to come up with guests to serve.